Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 28 and 30 Detroit Pistons. Uh, ben and I talk about whether the Pistons play in February is a streak or something more real. We go over my eternal frustration with Langston Galloway, and uh, we talk about why we're able to think a little bit more realistically about Thon Maker. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which is something you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Uh, ben, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Um, I'm a little bummed to see my Wolverines lost, but uh, you know, I was on I was on dad life duty this weekend, so I didn't get to watch the game. So it's not as painful as it could have been. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah. I'll let you take your victory lap. You're entitled to it. it it was a it was a def- defensive display by my Spartans worthy of uh, the 04 Pistons. Oh, That's all okay, I, yeah. all right. No, it was a lot of bad bad basketball. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was a very solid win. Very injured team this year. A good coaching job by Izzo. Uh, we'll do it again in 13 days and see how it goes. Yeah. How'd you uh, How'd you spend the All Star break? Oh man, so much dad life. <laughs> Poor kiddo got sick. I mean, I, I wish I could say that my my break was as jam packed as you with that that Netflix queue that I saw rolling on Twitter. But uh, I was watching a lot of kids movies. Let's put it that way. Oh man, yeah, I uh, <laughs> yeah my my choice in movie was uh, I guess a little bit more advanced than than yours. <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. That was really good. The Solo uh, Han Solo movie that was all right. Um, Got to watch uh, Zion Williamson's foot explode out of his shoe oh, man. live. Yeah. That was that was weird. But uh, the other thing I got to see was Detroit winning back-to-back games. It's yeah, not, not what I expected. Uh, the, the Pistons are now twenty-eight and thirty, a mere two games under five hundred, alone in the in the seventh seed, a half game above Charlotte, and a game and a half behind Brooklyn. Uh, their playoff chances are up to 84% when I checked this morning, according to uh, 538. This is the best month of basketball I think they've put together all season. They're 6-2. and two. Uh, They have the second-best offensive rating in the NBA for the month of February. Granted, that's only like a an eight-game sample, but still, that's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, ben, do you think this team has uh, turned it around fully, or is this just another uh, a good couple of weeks for this team? I think we got a little bit of both happening. Um, you know, they're, they're not the be- the fourth best net rating team in the NBA, right? I mean, they're not they're not that good. Um, but you know, I think in terms of uh, the things that have been going right for them all season, when they win, uh, is shooting during this little bit of a hot streak. You know, you can pull up the box scores from every game. You can look at how they're shooting from, especially the three point line, and when the shots go in, they can look pretty good. Unfortunately, we know that can be fickle. 
Um, we, we've seen it with guys like Langston Galloway in particular. He stands out as a guy who's been really up and down, but really the whole roster has been that way. So a little bit of a shooting streak obviously helps, uh, but I think there's some long-term improvements as well. Um, the removal of Jose Calderon from the lineup uh, and yes. Smith coming back healthy. You get, that's a, that's a two for one, right? You remove one of the worst players in the NBA and add a competent player that helps. Uh, I think the removal of Stanley Johnson from the rotation and the aforementioned shooting that we talked about, I think that helps not to beat up on Stanley too much, but uh, we've got better shooters in there now. And then uh, two other things in particular that stand out to me. First, Reggie Jackson looks healthy. You know, we speculated about that before the All-Star break. He looks healthy. He looks engaged with the basketball. Uh, he had that nice drive and dunk the other night. You know, he hasn't done that really all season. So hopefully that healthy, engaged Reggie Jackson is here to stay. You know, with him and Ish both back, um, that means you have a much more dynamic offense with two ball handlers in, in both units, right? First and second unit both have a ball handler. We've been begging for that all season, and we've seen it over this winning streak. And then finally, you know, Andre Drummond has just been a man possessed since he came back from his concussion, maybe a little bit motivated by getting spurned by the all-star selections, uh, cooled off a little bit the last two games, but, you know, he's been a beast as well. And I think th- those components are, are probably all pretty sustainable. Yeah, I think the if we're talking about this being a pretty good streak uh, and the shooting and the shots going in more than they have in the past, the only guy that's really playing like leagues above where I think it's reasonable to expect them to play is Reggie. Reggie. Reggie isn't going to make like 50% of his threes and sure. you know, 40, 55% of his shots from the floor. But everybody else is kind of in a position where you'd like them to be. Um, Wayne, Wayne Ellington isn't having the impact we imagined, but like he's still, you know, not a net negative on the floor. Um, Thon Maker is making uh, an impact defensively still kind of a, a not exactly a plus minus darling but but he's having uh, an energy impact when he's out there on the court um he's playing well it's just playing well uh you we get the uh the varied up and down games um from langston we got a, a nice little offensive explosion from bruce brown um in the first game coming out of the all-star break and so i think that uh there's there's no one thing that that screams like this is the the thing that's causing the Pistons to to suddenly like accelerate, and so I think it is a little bit uh, more sustainable. If it if it if it falls apart, it means many other pieces are going to have to come together uh, or and have to fall apart in order for the team to to play worse. And you know maybe it's a systemic thing, maybe like it's it's a chain reaction thing. Like one thing hits and then uh, the the ripple effects come out from that. Uh, I think you might you might see that if we're ever compelled to play Jose Calderon again, that Ugh. that appears to cause a lot of uh, bad chain reactions. But uh, I, I don't think this team is like going to be uh, you know a 700 winning percentage the rest of the year. But I do think that uh, this is sort of the team that we imagined we would see at the beginning of the year, and there's no reason they can't they can't play like this going forward. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been thinking. What you just said this this looks like the team that we expected, right? That, that 500 or slightly better team that can compete. Uh, that's what we've been looking for. And then, you know, we might talk about this more later, but the last two games, really, we have not gotten the most out of Blake Griffin. I mean, obviously ejected uh, two games ago in the, in the first half, I think it was, and then didn't play particularly um, 
particularly outstanding last night. So really the rest of the team stepped up. If, if this had been a month ago and Blake had those two games, um, yikes, what would have happened? Right. But uh, fortunately we got the rest of the team healthy and engaged and, and guys were able to step up. Yeah. Let, let, actually, let's talk about the, uh, the Atlanta game and Blake's backups in particular. Uh, John Lure made his uh, first three in 680 days oh <laughs> against Atlanta. Um, Thon Maker hit the game winner, obviously, from the corner. Um, I've been really enjoying what Thon puts on the table so far as energy. And uh, he's sh- actually shooting 37% from three on like two or three uh, attempts a game, which is still like more than what Stanley was giving you out of that spot, which is uh, pretty, again, not to crap on Stanley. Uh, we were, I find myself like doing that. We kind of did that in the recap as like Stanley wouldn't have made the shot, but like, that's, that's the, that's true maybe, but that's like kind of beyond the point. Like we're not, we're not doing that to say that um, we like, we hate Stanley. We're doing that to say that like, it's good to have a guy who's like actually a threat to, to be versatile and, and make shots on the perimeter out there for a change. Um, and you know, his weaknesses, the weaknesses that we knew about Thon coming in are a little bit lessened when he's playing next to Andre he doesn't need to be a dominant rebounder next to Andre. Um, he doesn't need to be like a point of attack shot blocker. He can be more of like a weak side aggressive shot blocker. And so like I've been really I've been really not I'm really pleased with what I expected or from what we're getting out of Thon, but I didn't expect that much in the first place. So I feel like Thon's hitting my very, very low expectations. How are you feeling about Thon Maker, Ben? Yeah, I think that's really well said. I think you're right about his weaknesses sort of being mitigated when he gets to play next to Andre Drummond. Um, I, I think it's helpful for the second unit to have some shooting from that four position. You know, obviously, Luer has played in, in fits and starts and has played decently, but hasn't um, you know hasn't been shooting the ball well from three, obviously. And then, of course, we've talked about Stanley. So putting one more shooter out there with the second unit uh, gives Ish Smith uh, one more one more guy to pass to, and, and obviously a little more space to operate. Um, yeah, defensively, I think you're right. I, I don't think I'm particularly impressed with him like on the ball or as a team defender, but he has done a good job in terms of weak side rotations and then protecting at the rim. Um, you know, I, I know there's a lot of speculation and um, when did he really start playing basketball and how long has he been playing and what does that mean about his ceiling? Um, you know, I, I like what I'm seeing as, as a rotation caliber player. Uh, limited, certainly. Um, but again, an upgrade, right? I mean, Ish is an upgrade over Jose. Uh, Thon is an upgrade over the guys that we've been piecing together at the four space. And, and you can really tell it's very obvious in the second unit that you've got a couple upgrades out there. I think that this might be similar uh, again to Stanley that now that he's divorced from the team that uh, used a lottery pick on him, we can start to have more reasonable expectations about what kind of player Thon Maker is going to be. And yeah. if his destiny in the league is to be a, you know, a backup stretch four, like that is not a bad destiny to have. You can make a great career out of that. And that's something that the Pistons have needed actually. And so uh, I think we, uh, expectation uh, setting is, is important when, when evaluating Thon and evaluating Stanley, I think and it was harder for us to do that. Yeah, excellent point. I agree. All right, the next guy I really wanted to talk about was uh, was Langston Galloway. Langston Galloway continues to be the uh, the most frustrating part of watching the Pistons for me personally. 
Uh, he scored 15 points in four fourth quarter minutes against the Heat. Um, he just exploded and uh, basically sealed the game for the Pistons. But but the prior three games, he had scored uh, zero points in all three games. So it's just like I'm I'm so frustrated with the Langston Galloway experience. I would much rather have a guy who went three for seven every night from three than a guy who goes you know zero for four, zero for four, zero for four, and then six for seven like like Langston's doing. So I I am despite the Despite the explosion, despite the the uh, the shot making that Langston displayed against Miami, uh, Kyrie Thomas played in the first half, and I was all in on that. I'm still uh, in favor of Kyrie ta- Kyrie Thomas taking all of Langston Galloway's minutes moving forward. Uh, what do you think about that, Ben? I I would not be opposed to it. I agree with you. I mean, he's a he's a frustrating player. You know, as a as a guy, you love to root for him. You love his attitude. Um, you love the way he um, he cheers for teammates and supports his teammates, but you know, as a player, he he's just hot and cold. And the cold stretches, man. It, you know, is it worth having three games for that one explosion in the fourth? And to me, it's not. I agree. I'd rather have a little bit more consistency. Um, you know, he's obviously not a long-term part of the Pistons' plans. Um, his deal expires next year. You could maybe make an argument that you kind of want to give him some consistent minutes so you can kind of flip him this summer. Um, but at the same time, now that the playoffs seem like very close to a sure thing, maybe you want to give a guy like Kyrie some minutes to see if he can be a little more consistent. Um, certainly some tools there to explore. We've talked about Kyrie and, and some of the things he could potentially bring to the table. Um, just, just very unproven because he hasn't had the chance that a guy like Bruce Brown, for example, uh, has had. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm really kind of over the Langston Galloway experiment and and ready to move on. Um, because, you know, if, if we're going to play a shooting guard who's going to go 0 for three games in a row, I'd rather that be a second-round pick who's a, whose potential we're trying to explore um, than a veteran who, you know, we know exactly who Galloway is at this point. Yeah, I don't th- and I don't think that uh, Galloway can play any – I don't think his play can dictate whether or not he gets flipped this summer. Uh, I yeah, think that fair. I think that the league kind of knows what he is and what he isn't, and so uh, if a team needs an expiring contract, if they need a guy who uh, they expect can come in and, and make some shots on occasion, which is something that Langston still can do, I, I feel like the Pistons shouldn't have any uh, supreme difficulty uh, finding a team to to take Langston. But uh, yeah, the the book is out on him; like he he is what he is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's just it's so frustrating because, uh, you know, there was at times you think there was like an opportunity to, to leverage his skill set in a different way, whether that's like playing point guard next to Blake or, you know, whether that's, um, you know, having him uh, handle the ball a little bit more. He's shown some uh, ability to come off screens and, and attack the rim. But, uh, you know. Again, everything with him is in flashes. Everything in with his game is so is so hot and cold. And if he's not making shots, he's so uh, deleterious to an offense that it just it bogs the entire thing down and makes it untenable. And so, yeah, I think um, that's not to say that like I have I have expectations for Kyrie. I think he will be. I think he would prove to be a more consistent player than Langston in time. But I think that would take time. We're seeing now with with Bruce Brown that like you know. 
Um, you get a consistent defensive effort out of him every night, but you can't always rely on on the offensive potential. And I think that's an easier situation to uh, adapt to in the starting lineup where the the offensive hierarchy is more clearly established um, than it is off the bench where the offensive hierarchy is a little bit more in flux, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, but but it looks like we're we're establishing a little bit more of the of the hierarchy of the offense off the bench, and a guy who's finding himself at the top is, is Luke Kennard. Uh, Luke Kennard is uh, looks like he's it doesn't look like he's going to re-enter the starting lineup anytime soon. But it looks like they're kind of handing him the keys to the offense off the bench, asking him to be a a, a Lou Williams type, play with the ball in his hands a little bit more. Uh, come off screens, uh, be in the pick and roll. Uh, and that I don't think that would be a bad thing for the Pistons if Luke's ultimate destiny is uh, is a bench scorer instead of like a, a starting shooting guard. Again, that's a, that's a thing with expectations, right? We had expectations that Luke could be like CJ McCollum or uh, an- another like starting level uh, NBA shooting guard and perhaps even a little bit better than that after his rookie year. But it looks like uh, he needs the ball in his hands so much to be comfortable to get himself into a flow that his ultimate role like might just be a- as a bench guy, as a bench scorer. And so, like, is that is that too low an expectation for Luke? Man, am I am I am I underselling him? I think I've I've always felt that minutes are more important than who starts and who comes off the bench. Um, you know, I've talked about how I would prefer to see Luke starting over Bruce Brown, but then. Bruce Brown has played some really good basketball lately and, and has really earned that spot. Um, you know, in his 28 minutes a game, I think when he gets that sort of opportunity, he, he really has acquitted himself and played very well. If you look back over the last several games, um, you know, when he gets those minutes, he, he, he scores the ball, he moves well with and without the ball. Uh, and I think your observation is really correct. He, he tends to play better when he's got a little bit more free reign and a little more involvement with the basketball. And I don't think in the starting lineup, there's really room for that. I mean, you've got Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin, and even to an extent, Andre Drummond, who all command the ball. Um, I think I, this is one of the things I've, I've criticized Casey. I think this is one of the things he's really started to get right. Bruce Brown makes a lot more sense in the starting unit because he doesn't need the ball to do his job. And, and if he gets an open shot and knocks it down, that's a bonus. Um, Kennard seems to work better with that second unit where they obviously need scoring, especially as we're seeing, you know, Thonmaker and, and Zaza, sort of the two big guys. Uh, and then he and Ish handling the ball with whoever settles into that three spot. I think that makes some sense. Uh, and I think Luke looks comfortable. And I think the thing that I, I'm really liking, and I observed this particularly last night, is how confident he looks and almost almost a little bit cocky. And I kind of like that because early in the season we saw this really timid, uh, this timid young guy who looked like he was over in his head at times. Uh, right now he looks like the exact opposite of that, and he looks extremely comfortable with his role. So, um, yeah, I mean, as long as he's getting the consistent minutes and the consistent looks, to me, bench starter, not a big deal. Uh, if he's producing and he's producing well in his role, then don't fix what's not broken. Yeah, I I. That is a point, the minutes versus who starts and who finishes is a point you've made many times before. And it's something that I think is, I, I take more on a case-by-case basis. I know personally myself, I would prefer to be a starter rather than a bench guy if I were in the NBA. But uh, I think the the other thing that you said 
where uh, he looks kind of cocky. Um, you have to. Re- I this is something that I saw and that I was reminded of. Uh, Luke Kennard is now the longest tenured wing player on the Pistons, right? Like he was drafted. He was drafted before they signed Langston in free agency. And the other two guys the Pistons are playing on the wing are Wayne Ellington, who has been on the team two weeks, and Bruce Brown, who who got drafted, you know, this past season. And so, you know, it's maybe it's cockiness, maybe it's a it's an acknowledgement of that, like, hey, like we like there's nobody else on the team who's who's been on this team as long as you have. Like you like we are handing you this responsibility and like entrusting this to you and you have to take it and, and he's done so so far. Yeah. And, you know, I think when it comes to starting versus coming off the bench, you know, when I was playing, the thing that helped me the most, and obviously I'm not playing at a super high level, but when I was playing, the thing that helped me the most is when I knew what to expect. So if you have clear expectations between the coach and player, and obviously you can't control things like an ejection or foul trouble and you get thrust into something out of, out of your comfort zone, like that can happen. But when you know what your role is and your coaches have confidence in you to be successful in that role, um, that can ultimately, I think, be more important to players than, you know, if they're starting or not. Because at this point, it's got to be pretty clear to Luke that he's not going to be the starter for the rest of the season. Um, but I think what we're seeing is his confidence in his role really coming to the fore because he, he's obviously embraced it. Um, you know, Vince had that tweet from Blake Griffin, I think it was yesterday, about how much camaraderie there is among the Pistons. It's clearly not an ego issue for anybody who's starting or who's coming off the bench. So the clear expectation, you know, Luke is going to be, you know, kind of the key cog, he and Ish, for that second unit. He's embraced it and he's thriving. Yeah. So I, we don't, we hadn't have that schedule, but I want to talk a little bit about that, uh, that camaraderie point now that you brought it up. I remember last year when we had James Edwards III of The Athletic on to recap the season, something that he and I both observed was that you know, this team took losses harder than, than most teams. Um, when the mood was like very jubilant when they won, won and it was very somber uh, when they lost. And I think that's something that Blake has like seen and tried to, tried to rectify. Um, we've seen examples of him uh, – you know, focusing on process over results in in wins. Uh, you know, he first game of the season they win against the Nets, but he's like grabbing Glenn Robinson in third and telling him he screwed up on, on the coverage on, on the final play of the game. And of course, we have the uh, the infamous press conference in New Orleans where, where Reggie's like joking around with him while he's like serious about like how hard they had to play to to put away a team that they they should have beaten easily. And I think I think the opposite is like also true though. I think that. Um, in losses, you know, where this team could get really down in themselves. Blake, because he's a leader, because he's the most talented team uh, player on the team, he's able to kind of put his foot down and say, like, no, guys, like, we can like we can play better than this. Like, we're, no, we're capable of playing better than, better than this. Let's just do that instead of, like, focusing on how poorly we, we played, like, today. And so that's something I think that's really been really, really valuable for this team. I don't know if uh, if – if they would be able to have the stretch of season they've had uh, to date, this uh, this February stretch we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, uh, without that mentality. Yeah, and I think, too, um, this is something Casey is known for, right? He's, he's known for being sort of a player's coach in the sense that he's good at managing personalities and bringing people together. So, um, you know, Griffin's been through a lot in his career. He's been in some interesting locker rooms with, with the drama that they had out in L.A., and I you got to think he's learned from that as well. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, think you know, think about as a Pistons fan the last decade, we have seen some crazy scenarios play out from you know the John Kuster sort of mutinies happening. You know, in this team, this iteration of the team, even thinking back to the, the Griffin trade last year, we've just been free of drama. Um, so, so that's a that's a pretty remarkable thing, especially when you're losing like the Pistons have have lost, you know, earlier this season and even going back into last season. And I, you know, I would love to be a fly on the wall in the locker room because I think it's a fair bit of speculation to say that sort of an, an even keeled, level-headed approach to a losing streak can help you bounce back back quicker and help make you thirsty for the winning streak, and then um, you know help you be a little more consistent when you're you're out of sort of the ups and downs and the hots and colds. Yeah, I think that's and uh, having an even keel out of a losing streak is not exactly something that Stan Van Gundy was known for. <laughs> yeah, he'd even keel in any scenario. I don't think it's really his calling card. Yeah, and so I, that is a good point that uh, having the head guy, having having your head coach and your best player both display uh, a more resilient mentality, I think is is a benefit for the team. Uh, all right, we're uh, oh, okay. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was Wayne Ellington. Wayne Ellington has hasn't been great. As the fourth starter, I think he's still under 30% from three during his Pistons tenure. Um, We've seen the last couple of games. It started in the game before the All-Star break in Boston, where I think he finally made his first three-pointer. He had a really nice uh, uh, three with the clock winding down uh, against the Heat. So it's clear that he's a capable shooter, and like that's something that we knew uh, coming in. And it might have just taken him a couple games to, to knock off the rust because he had been out of the rotation for some time uh, in Miami. But uh, even if he's not making all the shots we've been expected him, uh, him to make, I've been really pleased with the value he's forced the coaching staff to put into player movement. Um, defenses knows he is really capable of coming off screens, coming off sets and making shots. And so when the coaches, you know, call plays to, to put him in that position, that's something that the, the, the defense really has to account for. And that's opening up for, and that's opening up lanes for Reggie Jackson to drive through. That's opening up space for Andre Drummond to operate in. That's opening up space for uh, Blake in, in the high post. Um, and that's something that that's an element that Reggie Bullock also had in in his game but reggie was more of a deadly spot-up shooter than a a a deadly shooter off motion uh even the dho uh two-man game that reggie bullock had with blake griffin um would you'd see reggie not necessarily like take a couple of dribbles and and fire but you'd see him like uh swing like rip through come back the way that blake was setting the pick and and just stand up and shoot and so i think that uh you know, just forcing forcing uh, the defense to account for a little bit more motion uh, in the offense is a is a good thing for the Pistons. Um, ben, what what have you what have you been thinking about the way uh, Wayne Ellington's been playing of, of late for the Pistons? I think those are all really good observations. I think you know he obviously hasn't been his best version of himself yet. Um, being out of the rotation prior to getting here probably contributes to that. He, he's still shooting like twenty five percent or so from deep. He's a better shooter than that. So that's going to round into form you have to think over the rest of the season. Um, you know, so, so maybe that even contributes to uh, like the leveling off you talked about of a, uh, of a Reggie Jackson as the season winds down. So maybe that becomes a wash as well. But I think, yeah, mostly it's, it's mostly a wash. He does um, fill in 
for Reggie Bullock capably. Um, I, I think he's fine defensively. I like your observation about moving without the ball. I do think you're right. Bullock tended to be more sort of stand around and, and find the open spot where Ellington tends to be a little more active off the ball. I like that. Uh, I, I think that causes defense to have to move and lose track of other things. So, yeah, I mean, he's been capable. I, I think when he gets his three-point shooting up above 30%, we'll be a little bit better equipped to, to evaluate him fairly. But uh, I think a savvy pickup, um, you know, after the trade deadline. Um, and, you know, who the Pistons match up with in the playoffs, assuming they get there, I don't think Wayne Ellington makes or breaks anything, but I think he makes the playoff push much more feasible because he's one more guy you can sort of rely on and count on. Um, you know, to, even if the shots aren't falling, you don't expect him to hurt you, right? You know you're going to get savvy veteran play uh, and at least an adequate team defender. So, um, yeah, hurts to lose Reggie Bullock still because I think Bullock's probably the better overall player by by a bit, but but Ellington has has been fine. He he's doing his job, and that's what we need from him. Yeah, I don't I don't know if Ellington is a a adequate team defender. I mean. I think that's maybe that's something that again where he was rounding into shape because he he was not good for the first couple of, of games on, on that end, and uh, you know he still doesn't have the the size that I would like to see out of a Pistons wing. Um, that was the size that Reggie Bullock had, even though he didn't always leverage it, uh, and he was kind of skinny and slight, and so you'd like uh, you know a bigger a bigger wing to to guard those guys, especially in the starting lineup. But, uh, you know, he also hasn't – I think he's improved defensively. He hasn't been as noticeable on, you know, one way or another, Ellington, uh, defensively in the last couple of games. And so I think that that speaks somewhat to uh, to the quality of the team def- defense he offers. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I have to, I'd have to go back and watch some more and see to, re- to continue evaluating how I feel about Wayne Ellington's team defense. I know he's not going to like stop anybody though. So that's no, he's definitely not a stopper. I mean, yeah, you're still looking to Bruce Brown to do that yeah. for sure. All right, Ben. Uh, Pistons have had a good month. Uh, this the month ends this week. Unfortunately, we'll have to see if they carry this on into March. But uh, before that, they play the Indiana Pacers tomorrow at home. Uh, that's a that's a game I'll be looking at pretty closely. I know that a lot of People on the board have been excited about the possibility of getting up to the sixth seed and facing Indiana, and like maybe uh, that would be their their best chance to advance in the playoffs. I still think Indiana is a very very good basketball team, even without Victor Oladipo. But I will be intrigued to see how the Pistons match up with them uh, without having to worry about Vic. Um, after that, they play San Antonio on the road. That'll be a really tough game. San Antonio is a quality team. Uh, and then they have a couple days off, and then they play Cleveland. Uh, I think they play Cleveland at Cleveland, and then uh, Toronto at home on a back-to-back. Uh, that'll be Toronto's first uh, game in Detroit this season since Dwayne Casey was the coach and everything. Um, I think that'll that'll also be like a very interesting game to watch. I think that game is actually on Sunday, so we'll be recording the podcast in the wake of that game, and that might uh, have an outsized influence on how. Uh, positive or negative we are about the week but uh so that's four games this week Uh, the pistons are two games under 500 if they went three and one or better they'd be 500 uh, the when we record this podcast uh can they do that ben i don't think so um i think they do well to 
to finish this week 500 to split and go two and two personally. Which uh, which two are you taking? Well, you got to take Cleveland. I mean, you have to win that game, even with Kevin Love coming back. You've just got to win that. Um, and then, you know, I don't like the Toronto matchup very much, so I think you got to target the Pacers at home. Um, I think, you know, interestingly, Indiana has continued to play really well, and I think that says a lot about how good their supporting cast was. Uh, I think Oladipo was obviously shining, but uh, people are overlooking the rest of that squad. There's some real talent there. Um, but, yeah, as a potential playoff matchup, if the Pistons keep winning, it's interesting on that front. But, it, you know, it's also a home game, and the Pistons have been playing well, and that game is obviously, uh, you know, tomorrow. So those would be the two. I don't like the San Antonio matchup a whole lot. Spurs just, yeah, they just seem to find a way to be good, even when they have guys like Rudy Gay, who I've never been a fan of. Um, you know, Pop turns them into a useful player. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, I, I don't like the Toronto matchup. So I'm hoping for two and two, Pacers at home, and, and then Cleveland. I would also take two and two, but I don't know. Toronto, for whatever reason, seems uh, more vulnerable than perhaps they should be. Uh, they lost to Orlando by a good amount uh, today in a game that I did not watch uh, enough of because of the Michigan-Michigan State game. But uh, it it never felt like Toronto was really ever in that game, which is quite weird, um, especially when you're considering how, how good a team the Orlando Magic uh, are or are not, um, excuse me, I think you're right in that uh, you're definitely going to lose the San Antonio game on the road. And then um, it'll be, you have to, you have to pick up one of those wins against Indiana, Indianapolis uh, and the Raptors. Uh, hmm, I wonder if, uh, I wonder what, what Tony and uh, Adam Friedman, the hosts of, uh, of Locked on uh, Pacers are thinking about uh, that matchup. I have to, I have to talk to them. All right, Ben. Uh, that's it for this week's pod. Uh, what uh, What's the best way for the people to uh, talk to you on the uh, internet about uh, Jordan Poole's inability to make a three-point shot uh, when it matters? <laughs> uh, Twitter's always fun. At BR Galker, hit me up. And then in my passing passing um, moments in the blog comments, I, I seem to have a hard time figuring out time to write, you know, being a dad taking my time but i love talking basketball whenever i can so hit me up yeah and if uh and of course if you want to talk to me about how uh, cassius winston should be big 10 player of the year you can do so at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e on twitter um that's the best place to talk to me about basketball and uh what we have for the pistons moving forward all right that is this week's podcast. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you guys later uh, next week.